0: Welcome to Dear Culture, the podcast that gives you news you can trust for the culture. I'm your co-host, Jaren Keith Gaynor, Managing Editor of Politics and Washington Correspondent at The Grio.
1: Oh, fancy title. And I'm your co-host, <laughs> Shauna Phoenix, Social Media Director for The Grio. And this week we're asking, Dear Culture, how do we heal our generational curses? Alright y'all, generational curses, cycles, whatever you wanna call them, we're all talking about them. Maybe it's come up in conversation with your siblings, cousins, friends, or preferably a therapist. And perhaps you've found an Instagram account that offers insights on how to heal longstanding family wounds. Either way, with so much happening in the world, more and more folks are turning inward to reflect on not only themselves, but also the folks that came before them. This week, we're talking about our own journeys with understanding and healing family trauma and the things we've had to unlearn to become the best versions of ourselves. Let's get into it.
0: Shauna, I'm really happy we're having this discussion. It's a really hard discussion to talk about generational curses, but I think it's something that's really important for us to really dig into. I know for me, I've done a lot of that in my personal uh, walk and trying to heal from uh, things that have I've seen and experienced in my family. And I think it's especially important for Black families in particular. Um, generational curses, I think, sometimes can sound jarring, or I think sometimes it kind of uh, pushes out this idea that, uh, there's something sinister or evil. But in actuality, it's about practices and behaviors that just go from one generation to the next. And I think that the millennial generation, our generation is that, that generation that really started to really break away from decades of behaviors and patterns. Um, and we'll, we'll get more into it. But, Shawna, I want to first ask you, when do you think or when do you consider a habit, belief or practice to be a generational curse?
1: Um. Honestly, I think that would have to come from where things seem to be detrimental in the long run. Right. So say, for instance, um you know, if there's a general, let's, you know what, let's talk about the the one Beyonce Giselle knows Carter, right? So <laughs> one of the things that she pointed out as a generational curse was the women in her family allowing for infidelity to occur. So when she found herself repeating generational curses, you know, we all know what happened with Miss Tina and Matthew, you know, and she found herself kind of. Having a very similar occurrence when with her and with in between her marriage um, between her and Jay Z, and she said no more. We're I'm not going to raise my my daughter at the point at that point in time. Rue and uh, or what what's her name? Rumi and Sir. were not <laughs> we're not around. So it was just Blue, and she said no. I'm going to make sure that my daughter knows. That this is not what love is supposed to look like. Um, I think that also goes alongside, you know, aspects of, of teen pregnancy. I think it can go alongside aspects of drug abuse and and addiction. Um, you know, I've definitely seen a lot of that, uh, in, you know, moving forward, um, for, or, or rather, I've seen a lot of that in terms of, you know, my own personal experiences from family as well as, uh, just friends and seeing, their own generational curses um i think aspects of <laughs> one thing that i i often tell my boyfriend um is that he comes from a generational curse of uh, uh, some of the people in his family are not that honest uh saying you you having a casual relationship with the truth is not gonna pop over here sir fix that <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> no, no, like fix that um you know and it's it's one of those things of understanding um You know, where you've seen your grandparents, or you've heard stories about your great grandparents, or something like, like something crazy happening. Um, Case in point, there are a lot of people who have a generational curse of unfortunately, physical abuse. Uh, You know, there are a lot of young men and women who have seen their mothers, you know, being hit or their fathers doing the hitting or have heard about some uncle doing something or a grandparent doing something or a great grandparent. It's a generational curse and it needs to stop. (laughs) But so I guess And I know we kind of touched on it a little bit, but I do want to know, G, where do you think these generational curses actually come from? Like, what's their root? Because it didn't just you know, magically pop up that your great grandpa was over here beating down your great grandmother, you know, like, so what, where do you think all that starts, stems from?
0: At the root, it's, it's pain, is suffering, you know, when trauma lives in the body and, and we are a product of our fathers and forefathers and mothers and foremothers. Um, and so uh, pain is something that can be difficult to, to, to navigate through. And when you look at the history of, of black people in particular, you know, we endured the deepest traumas with slavery and, and our families being separated, our women being raped and pillaged, uh, babies being ripped from their, from their mother's arms. That's deep trauma that I don't think the larger black collect community has been able to, to really heal from. And we're starting to see the beginnings of, of that. Um, uh, but when you think about the black community, there are like specific things that we, we have just assume that it's just part of black culture, like, you know, not not banking when we know that the banking institutions did not allow black people to to do business with them. And so we didn't have banks to go to, which is why the Freedmen's Bank was created um, uh, centuries ago. Uh, we also when you think about doctors like right now during COVID, you have a lot of black people who still are not trusting of medicine. Um that's because the medical industry uh without permission uh use black bodies to experiment. And so there's a reason why we don't trust doctors in the medical system. Um you think about how sometimes in our communities uh we don't dream beyond uh the four walls of our apartment or beyond our neighborhood um neighborhood lines, and that's because we weren't we didn't have access to money, capital to to travel. Um, we were segregated, and, you, and we can talk about you can, when you think about the history of redlining um, and, and the and the ways in which we've been kept in in poverty uh, for centuries. And so there are, there are very clear historical reasons why um, why black people exist sometimes the way in the in the way in the way we show up in the ways that we we deal or don't deal with um, our pain our trauma and and I think that it's important for us to really do that self investigation um, as to like ask that why don't just accept that this is just how things are this is how my family is this is just how things are in my neighborhood but it can be hard to um, Imagine to use your imagination to think beyond what you may, what might be around you. Um, and that's why I've been so grateful for, um, my journey going to therapy, um, and really like investigating, like, who am I and how I show up in the world in relation to, um, uh, my family in particular. Uh, so I, I want to talk about family because I think that's where it starts. You know, what you what you know about yourself is where you come from. And so your what your parents, your grandparents, they are the, your first teachers in life and our first relationships with the people uh, who we love and the people who raised us. Uh, it affects uh, our relationships with um, our partners, our relationships with our friends, how we show up at work. Um, and And to that point, Shauna, when did you first realize uh, that not every lesson that maybe was taught to you uh, or demonstrated by your family uh, that it wasn't necessarily the right thing to do or behave or or be?
1: To be honest, it wasn't until I had to kind of venture out on my own um, going to college and being having my own type of, relationships and identity outside of my parents outside of my family outside of where I was from is the first time where your your eyes are opened to there's so there's such a bigger world than the the little bubble that you've been, you know, raised in. And I recognize that not everybody is going to have, you know, their Spelman College or no not everybody chooses to go to college, but what is I guess my thing is what what are the the steps that you're taking to almost in a way kind of separate yourself from where you've been um, only to really get the knowledge of where you could possibly go. So I'll give you a perfect example. Um, you know, you guys, if you've been listening to the show, you know, I'm a fierce advocate for LGBT everything. Um, and Growing up in a Caribbean household, that was not necessarily <laughs> the right thing. You know, I I grew up with, um, you know, certain members of my family talking about Batiman this and you know, and and girls being lesbians and going to hell and all of this other stuff. Wherein, <laughs> then it's not until you know, when trans and, and transgender people and the really derogatory names around that. Um, and it's not until you get to college and you start meeting people, you start having conversations with people, things, th- things, and identities and, and, and people that you never would have had those kinds of experiences with, um, and really learning folks' humanity. Outside of what you've been taught, um, I think another perfect example for that is religion. You know, I my house is it, my my family is very interesting. Um, the vast majority of my family members weren't like big, you know, Jesusy people. You know, wasn't oh, we're going to church every Sunday and X Y Z and all this other stuff. We really wasn't, but. The way that certain members of my family, especially the older ones, hold on to certain facets of the Bible. But I'm like, but wait, you drink every Saturday. Hold on, wait, is that a part of the Bible too? Like, what what are these 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 Christian words that you're trying to tell me that you don't abide by that you're expecting everybody else to live by? Because so that you can sit on your self-righteous high horse and Yet you don't follow all of the other stuff. You out here eating shrimp right now. <laughs> I see I see you with the oysters. Like, what is this? Like, like what are you talking about? Um, you know, but again, it was definitely a, a process of recognizing that more times than not, a lot of these, a, a, a lot of our family members, our ancestors, you know, who are here and who are not, um, they were just trying to survive. They were just trying to figure it out. I turned 35 in two months and I'm... Still trying to figure out just what the hell is going on life-wise. So for me, expecting for for grandma or you know my great grandmother or something like that to have it had it all figured out, <laughs> 40, 50, 60, sounds insane to me. <laughs> so yeah.
0: Yeah, I can relate. Uh, I mean, you mentioned LGBTQ and it made me think about my own. I guess I, this is definitely a generational curse that has been broken in my family. I think I may be the first person in my family to come out the closet um, and not just come out, but like be like proudly gay. And because the work that I do is so visible, I often talk about being gay. I write about my sexuality and my journey and in, in coming out and being proud of who I am. And I have members of my family, um, uh, cousins and, uh, you know, uh, my mother's first cousins. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to get in trouble. So let me not say too much, <laughs> but there are people, there are definitely people in my family who, uh, family members have suspected are gay. There are some members who I know who are gay, who, who, who don't yet feel all the way comfortable being their authentic self. Um, I've had conversations with a cousin who told me that, you know, they that they feel uh, somewhat empowered that I'm I'm stepping into the stepping to the front of the line and kind of like taking those shots, if you will. Because when you're the first, you're the one you're going to you expose yourself to possibly being judged. But on the other side of that was seeing my family evolve and seeing, you know, aunts and uncles say, you know, I just just know that I love you. They, they won't say it like they won't like give it. They won't address it explicitly, but they'll say, I, I love you anyway. I had a, a aunt who said, you can come visit us. You can bring whatever friend that you want. You know, that was her way of saying. <laughs> bring, <laughs> your way of saying. bring your boyfriend. You can bring your bring boyfriend. Bring your boyfriend. If you if I had if I had one. um and, but that makes me feel good because it's, I was a kid and I was, I feared that my family would reject me for being gay because we came from the lineage of the black church that said that being gay was wrong. I, I'm a, I'm a preacher's kid at that. And so for me, getting, getting to a place of like self-acceptance and then pushing my family to accept me and then seeing that transformation has really, um, it's just like, it's enriched me in ways that I can't really explain. It feels good to feel loved and supported. I think that's what we all really want. And that's what uh, breaking those traumas and generational curses feels like. It's just there's a freedom and a liberation and a joy that comes from letting that stuff go and choosing a different path. Um, I also think about my health. You know, my dad died at 60 years old. He was, uh, and we're seeing a lot of black men uh, die at, at between the age of 50 and 65 years old, which is way too young. And. It made me start thinking about my eating habits and, and what I put in my body. And we know in black families, you know, and we can talk about the, the relationship between soul food and slavery and how, you know, eating p- pig's feet and chitlins was really just because, you know, the massa, you know, gave the scraps to the enslaved. And and we just we, because black people are, are are just creative and we had ingenuity, we created uh, very tasty foods, even though I, I've never had chitlins, so I can't speak for chitlins, but we created like these very tasty foods that we, that generationally we eat. Um, and, but it doesn't mean that it's, it doesn't mean that it's healthy. And I often f- find it difficult to go to uh, be with family on like holidays where we're at the dinner table, eating all this grease and fried food. Cause I'm thinking about, what is this doing to our bodies? And seeing when you have a parent, you know, die at 60, it just changes the way that you you think about health. And I start, I went uh vegan for a few years. I'm I'm more like uh, a blend between vegan and vegetarian. And my family has been inspired by that too. I mean they won't they won't go completely like meatless um but they've tried my mother eats vegan food she buys like vegan cheese and vegan butter I'm not and you know that's that's progress you know sometimes you just have to show you have to show uh the generations before you but the, show them that path lead lead be, lead the charge and I've seen uh, I've seen that transformation as well. Um, and then I think about money, you know, I didn't come from money and my parents had um, an unhealthy relationship with money. They had a lot of debt. And I'll never forget when my parents were able to get me like a Christmas gift. I think one year and I was in college, they got me a credit card in my name. And, you know, I, at the time I was like, yes, it's money, you know, but it's not free money. And I clearly didn't um, adhere to that. And I just, I just maxed out the credit card and then I had all this debt and it really just set me up for failure. And so even now at 32, almost 33, I'm trying to improve my relationship with money and unlearn these like spending habits that my parents had. My dad was a very uh, live in the moment kind of person. Like you want to go on a shopping spree, like go shopping, go, go travel. And so that's kind of how I am. Shauna, you know, I, I love to travel. People, pe- people be seeing me traveling, but like, where are you going next? And, and while I am blessed to say that I'm not like broke, I'm also not like where I should be financially because I'm such a, a live in the moment kind of person that's something that I inherited from my dad and while it can be seen as a good thing, uh, you have to have your, your 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 ducks in a row before you start to like live lavishly and so I'm starting to like really take that time to to like sit back and like really evaluate my life and my behaviors and how what, what I want my life look thinking about what I want my life to look like in the future and what do I need to do to get there you know mm-hmm. Now, Shauna, you are a social media queen. You, I mean, I don't know how you do it, but you do it so well. Um, but it makes me think about the ways that social media impacts the ways that we uh, the, the information and the images that we that we absorb from social media. Um, and as we talk about wellness and, and healing, uh, I can't help but think about some of the negativity that we see on social media. And so what do you think about that? Like, what role do you think social media is playing um, in the conversations that that people are having about unlearning and, and healing those generational cycles?
1: Um, I tell people all the time that social media is... <laughs> and and I apologize in advance if you are from New Orleans, but I'm just going to, I'm going to lift my truth. Okay. Uh, New Orleans is one of my favorite cities in the world. Right. And I always tell people that people are always like, well, why? And I'm like, New Orleans is a filthy, disgusting, debaucherous, dirty place, especially if you're talking about, uh, you know, uh, Mardi Gras, <laughs> which, uh, COVID has taken from me. But it is all of those things, but New Orleans is also magical and amazing and wonderful and beautiful and inspirational. And you have to take the the subtypes unseemly with the really, really good. That is the internet. The internet to me is, and social media rather is New Orleans. Um, it could either be a very harmful, negative, evil place, or it can be something that is beautiful and, again, inspirational. And I've found that there are so many, the legitimate ones anyway, there are so many social media influencers who are using their platforms to help, first off, give voice to a lot of the traumas that I think so many of us have, but we don't know how to um, verbalize them. Um, I don't really think we know how to talk about them, Uh, but there are... You know, but they're, they're, they're giving us the tools to not only recognize them and talk about them, but also to figure out how are we going to unlearn them for the future, you know, and for the, rather for the future generation. So I'll give you an example. Um, I don't think, I think in the last recent years, I don't think I've ever come across so many conversations, um, of cishet black men. Who are finally acknowledging and recognizing that they were sexually abused in, in some way. And with that, I mean, not just like your typical, oh, some, you know, uncle went and did da 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 da. I mean, like, there are so many black men who had sexual experiences at eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. And they're like, oh, yeah, but it was this older woman and, you know, it was cool and da da da. And I, I, it's not that I didn't like it. And it's like, you didn't have the capacity to know any of that you really didn't and that's the problem with having adults or you know some older some high school person or something like that do that to you and it can warp your your perceptions and it can actually cause a whole lot more trauma um seeing men talk about that um some who are still very lost in the sauce uh <laughs> <laughs> but some who acknowledge, like no, like this actually was effed up, and we as a society have to stop being okay. Like if there's a, a an example of a of a teacher sleep of a male teacher sleeping with a female student, we're up in arms and we want that that male teacher, you know, th- 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 string him up somewhere. Like <laughs> that's where we are. But little black boys don't get that same type of protection. You know, and it's like, oh well, that not you don't see that fine teacher. She was sleeping with him, yeah, but he was a child. You know, like let's let's acknowledge those things. And I think those are examples of generational curses. Um, even you know, y'all know how I how I feel about corporal punishment for for the babies. Um, I personally do not believe in hitting children. Um, it it as I've gotten older, it feels grosser and grosser to me. Now I'm not gonna lie. Let me let me put this out here because I believe in truth. I'm not going to lie. You ever seen like a really misbehaving child get like tatted up a little bit? I might chuckle in my breath because, you know, (laughs) I might chuckle. However, I still recognize that. No, you know what I'm saying? If you are saying that you are raising this child, you cannot, it doesn't make sense to expect a child whose brain isn't fully developed yet, who has, who knows nothing to be able to express themselves in a way that makes sense to you. There are adults who don't even know how to do that, who are, you know, for them to be able to. There there are some of us who while out right now, I was telling our uh, producers before the recording of this show, like when I get overwhelmed, down. you know what I do? I go in my walk, my new walk in closet in my new apartment. It's dark. It's cold. And I just lay on the floor. And I, I will be in there for 10, 15, 20 minutes just to decompress. But that's me as an adult realizing that I need to do that. If I was a toddler and I can't express that I'm feeling overwhelmed, there's too much sensory things happening around me. I'm throwing ish around the room like this is where I am. So watching influencers like um, how she calls herself supernova mama. Or Supernova Month. I'll look her up. Um, But she is amazing on Twitter. Um, She is, I believe, her entire family, I think, has autism um, or some form of it. Uh, Her two young daughters, her husband and herself. So there are certain triggers and, and, and sensory things that, you know, those kids... And, and the adults, you know, that they have to learn how to navigate in order to have healthy parenting skills. That is amazing. Um, and, you know, I'm not I'm not a parent. Hopefully we'll be one day. Uh, so watching those kind of influencers and seeing like, oh, wow, this is so dope. This is another way to parent. This is another way to make sure that, you know, you're teaching your kids how to verbalize their feelings. And even if we don't, guess what? That's fine, too. Let's work let's work through it. Do you need to bang it out? Do you need to stomp? Are you mad? Cuz I'm mad. Like <laughs> I love that and I I think it's it's pretty amazing. Um but G, I know like you said, uh, you know you've had to kind of do a lot of unlearning all of the patterns and the cycles. And one thing that I think is so interesting is more times than not, unlearning patterns and cycles that are a part of like generational curses requires you to establish boundaries, right? And we know establishing boundaries can sometimes feel like an attack or a a rebuke to other people and it can definitely change something. So how has your journey with unlearning certain patterns and cycles and having to establish boundaries, how, if at all, has that changed any of your family dynamics?
0: That's a really good question. Um, You know, I would say it's, Change my family dynamic in a good way. I've seen, there's been, again, going back to when I, meek being out, I've seen the ways even my grandparents, um, they, in their own way, show me that they, that they love me, uh, despite my sexuality. And I think that for me has been, I've seen my family be more loving. And, uh, I grew up not really using the word love a lot. My parents didn't say I love you often. My love language is actually physical touch and i and i think it's because my parents didn't really they weren't affectionate with me you know they, they would hug me like on, on my birthday say thank you when i got them a gift for mother's day or fathers day but generally speaking like they didn't like i wasn't like the kind of kid that was laid up in the bed with my parents and like oh mommy i love you daddy i love you and uh i didn't really say i love you until my dad died because it really uh reinforced uh it woke me up and i was like I need to say I love you. Like if my mother was to leave tomorrow, I want her to know that I loved her. And so now, whenever I, uh, before I even hang up the phone, I say I love you to her, to everyone in my family. And um, and that's for me. That's something that has been transformative. Like saying I love you to my family, hearing them say it back. Uh, my family is a very uh, quiet family. They they're not people of like many words. And um, learning how to communicate and speak up has been something that I had to unlearn, right? And, or or not speaking, I had to unlearn to, to actually not do that. And it came through therapy. I remember my first therapy session, my therapist was like asking me questions about my family and my childhood. And I was incredibly uncomfortable because I didn't come from a family that talked about those things. We were we were reared into believing that uh, you stay quiet about your family issues. Um, you keep that home you don't bring that to uh, anyone, especially not some white therapist. <laughs> um, but as I started to get used to the practice of like using my voice and like saying out loud what I'm actually feeling and thinking, I've been able to you know listen to my family and like hear what's going on and like point out like no like let's call a thing a thing. And I would say that's the thing that has really I've seen those dynamic changing in my family is like hearing them uh, speak to what is bothering them, and I and I and I, I I've tried to take the lead on that in my family because because no one in my family likes to talk about therapy. No, no one likes to talk about these generational uh, issues of like violence. Um, there are issues in my family people being in marriages that they're not happy in, and. I've been trying to, I, I haven't seen the changes that I w- really would like to see, but I'm starting to see the remnants of it. You know, I think that it starts somewhere. And for many of us, it starts with us. And we can inspire our families to, to, to reimagine, um, the way that we relate. Um, but I'm still, I'm still waiting to, to see some of those changes for my family. And I, I believe that it, you're never too old. It's never too late. To adopt those changes, um, and so I just I just continue to be the best version of myself and try to be loving always, um, and and yeah, I think that that's that's the best that we can actually do for ourselves and for our families. To transition a bit, Shauna, I want to like really talk about uh, black women and the ways in which they um, uh, relate in relationships. This is more so hetero, heterosexual relationships because oftentimes and we can call it struggle love um uh, I know that you talked about this a lot on dear culture in the past because oftentimes women black women in particular for like they have to stand by their man and just and just uh accept whatever whether they're cheating on them whether they're being abusive verbally or physically um there's a lot to unpack there as to why that that is but what does that mean to struggle love and what has been the most challenging thing about learning that for you as a black woman
1: Uh, the most challenging thing about unlearning that is that the idea that you should stick by struggle love is reinforced every single day. The idea that you should be avoiding it, that you are better and deserve much more and, and then then struggle love is not as a pervasive message. It's almost something that you have to internally tell yourself. Um, Whereas, you know, there are certain struggle love situations that are glorified. I mean, Fabulous knocked Emily B's whole mouth out, you know, and they're still going strong and their goals and whatever else. You know, there have been endless LeBron James cheating rumors, but oh, look at, look at that couple. And she's standing by her man and all this. Hell, if you want to go to hip, loving hip hop, there's Rashida Ali and Kirk who had a whole baby on her. Like just nonsense <laughs> that you see on a regular basis. Um, future up <laughs> there. Uh, we could go on and on about future. We can go on and on about London on the track and Summer Walker out here, you know, writing whole songs about how uh, your mama should have whooped your behind. Like, (laughs) you know, just all of those things. And, but it's, and and it can be frustrating, especially if you grew up in an environment like that. Um, What's so funny is in my family, there's a different kind of struggle, love. Um, <laughs> and when I say that, I mean like my mother, for instance, especially like in the early starts of her relationship with my father, and maybe until I was about like maybe until I was like five or six. Like my father was trash. Like he was horrible. Great daddy, amazing father, terrible partner. Um, and you know, my mother has held on. Has held on to. I think now in her, well, let me not tell her age before she cussed me out, but in her, at her age, you know, she's managed to learn how to let certain things go. But I know that there were certain, she, we've had in-depth conversations about how certain things that my father has done um, or done in the past uh, or did in the past rather that chipped away at who she was and, and things that she thought that she would stand for and never stand for. And I've asked my mom, you know she's been with my father 30 plus years um would you if you knew then what you know now would you have stuck around and she goes honestly i don't know probably not she's like because as much as i love your father that is my best friend that is my person there was a lot of stuff and it changed me and it changed how i react to certain things it it it's trauma you know um and it's, it's a matter of what will I, or will I not stand for? Uh, in my family, you know, there have been, there are some aunts who are in very abusive relationships, but you know, Oh, for the idea of having a marriage, you gotta stick it out. What, what for? (laughs) It's like, what for my grandmother? Um, my mom's mom who passed away, God rest her soul. Uh, She, you know, had nine children with my grandfather and he went off and had a baby on her with somebody else, you know, and and she was still out here doing stuff for him because stand by your man. Hell no, there's no way. (laughs) There's absolutely no way. Uh, My grandmother, who is alive, she was in a really trash, loveless marriage for a very long time. Technically, she still is in one. They have not lived together in 20 plus years, just haven't signed paperwork. I don't know. Caribbeans be be weird, but, (laughs) but you know, all of these things and, and, and these, these family traditions and legacies that we're trying to get away from, like for me, I have no interest in that. If I feel that you are dishonoring me, if I feel that you are not, she loving me in the way in which that I want and need I'm out like period I'm out for like what is the purpose and I think that although there's room for forgiveness in certain aspects there is at the end of the day if you're going to unlearn those kind of generational curses you have to learn how to be true to yourself and also what I try to keep in mind is my future daughter or daughter's what do I want them to know? My future sons, what do I expect them? How do I expect them to treat other women? You know, if, if they, if they happen to be cishet, you know, <laughs> how do I expect them to treat their partners in general? How do I expect them to receive love? How do I expect them to acknowledge it? How do I expect them to, to give it? Um, so yeah, but I mean, and I, it's so funny because I think there are things that, like, just as a culture, we've had to unlearn. What, so I guess that's my question for you, G. What do you think are some of the things that we've unfortunately may have inherited in black culture that you're starting to see us unlearn as a collective?
0: Mm, that's a really good question. And there was this meme that I saw on social media. It was about a parent posted like a picture of their son playing with a, a kitchen set. And it just like, it, it became like this, this debate on social media about boys and like, what's, what should boys be doing? And I really, uh, that really resonated with me because I was a, a kid, a, a young boy who didn't feel masculine. I did like to, uh, you know, play when I, we had, uh, in kindergarten, we would have like a uh, different stations where you can play in different stations and the boys would be like playing with like, I don't know, like, some toy cars or something like that. They're they would be getting physical. And I went to the 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 station where there was a kitchen set and I would be with I would be with the girls playing with the kitchen. And I'm not sure what it is really funny because at 32 I actually hate being in the kitchen. <laughs> but, but um maybe it's because I saw my mom and my grandmother, you know, in uh, in the kitchen and I my the feminine part of me, the feminine energy in me resonated with that. And, but I also was, you know, T sometimes told to not play in that, in that station and in the classroom. And so that me really, really connected with me because I think we're seeing more parents. Um, one, we're seeing more kids really just be more uh, uh, open about who they are. They're coming out the closet more as gay, as trans, as non-binary. Um, Parents are allowing their boys to play with dolls and their girls to play with traditionally masculine toys. And I think that that's so beautiful because we're like, we're, we're like getting away from these gender norms that I think are so, um, harmful to, to all of us, not just those of us who are, who identify as queer, because not every woman, uh, wants to be in the kitchen and likes dolls. Uh, some women want to, some women want to, uh, uh, be, be, be what is not traditionally, uh, accepted as what women do. Um, and, and I think that that's so important. I think it's really beautiful to see like these gender norms changing. Um, because it a lot it gives that child the space to like explore who they are. I had to explore who I was in my twenties and, and, and even still discovering more about who I am in my early 30s. And and when we this shift that we're seeing is allowing kids to do that exploration at the age that they should be when they're when they are at that adolescent age. Um and I, I wish that I had that and I, I don't, but I think that um there's nothing more there's something really sweet about seeing younger generations having it better than you. And that's what we should want for the generations after us. And I, I hope that the generations before us, you know, want it more for us. And I, I can speak for my family. I know that they want it more for me. Uh, but when it comes to like sexuality and gender identity, uh, we're seeing that shift. Um, and then also just therapy. You know, I talked about a bit of this earlier at the top of the, uh, top of the show. But we're not we're not seeing black people just go in droves to therapy. Like, let's be clear, like we have a I think we have a long way to go. But I am seeing more of my peers, at least, are saying, hey, I go to therapy. Maybe it's once a month. Maybe it's when I need it. Some people go daily. But it's part of the it's part of that the, the conversation now. And, and sometimes it's not just therapy. Sometimes it's just about uh, we they call it. Protecting your peace. You see a lot of that uh, a lot of that language. On, on social media, in particular, and I think that even starting there, even identifying that this is toxic, this is not for me. I want better. Like that is a, a precursor, I think, to to doing going to therapy and like really investigating. You know what what are the things that uh, I cannot allow in order for me to live a happy life. In order to be fulfilled, in order to to feel liberated, and I think that you know the generation Generation Z. I mean, look, I mean, you talked up, you talked <laughs> they about they are free, they are free, <laughs> they are free. Some of them, um, let me not even say anything. I'm gonna get in trouble with, but like the, this generation, they are they are fearless, um, and I'm so proud to see that because I was so fearful as a child. And and to see this generation, the younger generation, be bold and be authentic. Um, you know, they still make mistakes as young people do. Um, but it means that we're, we're going we're stepping in uh, in the right direction. Um, so I can only imagine what their children, their grandchildren are going to who they're going to be when they come into this world. Um, it's just really beautiful to see. Uh, and it's also really important to celebrate, I think. The ancestral gems, because we're not not everything about who we are as a community or, or not everything about our family is necessarily bad. There are things that we inherit that are really actually great. You know, I actually love the fact that black people, you know, no one can do what we do when it comes to dance and being creative, like the best athletes, the best uh, uh, singers, and entertainers are black, you know, and I think that that's by, that's something, I don't know if it's genetic or, or just, uh, energetic, but everybody wants to be black for a reason. Um, uh, so what are some of those traditions and practices or beliefs that you think are, that you are thankful for? And as a future ancestor yourself, what legacy and what gems do you hope to leave behind?
1: Um, I think a few things, uh, my family, especially the women in my family on both sides are fiercely independent and self-reliant. Um, and I think that's something that it's beautiful to see and not on some strong black woman nonsense. No, not, not, not that it's more so a, Hey, if something needs to get done, I'm gonna make sure that it gets done. I'm gonna make sure whatever it is that is in my power, I'm going to take care. Whether it's take care of my kids, take care of my family, take care of myself. You know, um, make sure that my my team is good. Uh, being again self reliant, being a an, a person who has essentially. Decided, regardless of anything, I'm going to make a way out of no way. You know, <laughs> it's 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 gonna happen one way or another. Like, just watch my smoke. That's it. This just watch my smoke. Uh, so I definitely give all praise and honor to the, the my ancestors who have kind of in, in in whether generationally or things that I've actually like seen seen uh, have driven that point home. Uh, for me, I think ultimately what I want to do. And leave behind as an ancestor is honestly, I want to leave a legacy of, well, a few things. One, money. I would like to help, you know, make sure that they cool on that end. Like let's let's get some wealth going, <laughs> uh, or at least starting to build it. Uh, but definitely, if I can, if I know that I've created children and grandchildren and great grandchildren and even more, God willing, we're all surviving. Uh, you know, who. Approach this world and approach people with acceptance, tolerance and love. Then I think I've done my job. It's one of the reasons why I don't believe in corporal punishment. It, you know, it's no, let, we're going to talk it out. We're going to be some, the, the, the pinnacle whoever's are going to be some very <laughs> chatty, chatty people who know how to express themselves and know how to express their feelings and their wants and needs and desires and frustrations. Um, you know, people who, Are going to fight for the marginalized people who are going to make sure that they're using whatever positions of power that they have to make the world, the world a better place. And that is what is important to me. Uh, but what about you, G? You
0: know, I would just say that, um, just succinctly, you know, when I think, when I used to think about, you know, me being an ancestor, I'd be like, "Mm, I didn't, I guess it brought up trepidation for me because I don't, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to have children. But then I thought about the ancestors like James Baldwin, who is a great influence uh, for me as a black queer writer and thinker. And, you know, he left behind his work and I've been inspired by that. And so I hope to leave behind um, uh, a body of work that inspires generations after me to to love and love like radically, the bell hooks kind of love. The type of love that is absent of patriarchy, capitalism, and white supremacy. Um because that's the type of love that I I'm, I'm working hard every day to not only embody, but to um inspire others to live that way as well. Um, and so that's the kind of legacy that I wanna leave behind. Shauna, it's just been really uh I always enjoy speaking with you, but <laughs> I really Enjoy having this particular conversation with you. And I wouldn't have wanted to have this conversation with anyone else. Uh, so thank you so much for sharing, sharing your heart. And, um, and I think that I hope our audience really takes something from this conversation. Anytime, G, anytime. <laughs> and for more commentary on the culture, visit the Grio's website at www.thegrio.com and follow DCP on Instagram at Dear Culture Pod.
1: We want to remind our listeners to support your local Black businesses and donate to your local organizations and religious institutions. The business that we will highlight this week is Black Girls Breathing. Founder and CEO Jasmine Marie says she created Black Girls Breathing as a safe space for Black women to actively manage their mental health through breathwork and community. Black Girls Breathing offers workshops that guide girls and women on releasing past mistakes and detachments, tapping into their own greatness, welcoming new intentions, and so much more. Jasmine Marie and Black Girls Breathing have been featured in Vogue, Marie Claire, and Nylon, to name a few. To learn more about Black Girls Breathing, visit their website, www.blackgirlsbreathing.com. That's B-L-A-C-K-G-I-R-L-S. B R E A T H I N G dot com. The GRIO has published a list of 50 plus black businesses to support during the coronavirus pandemic. If you'd like your business to be featured, email us at info at the That's G R I O dot com.
0: Thank you for listening to Dear Culture. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast and share it with everyone you know.
1: And please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments, we love those, to podcast at thegrio.com. The Dear Culture podcast is brought to you by The Grio and co-produced by Taji Sr.,
0: Sydney Henriquez Payne, and Abdul Kadus.